0: Hi, everyone. This episode will count for CME credit with the American College of Physicians. So click on the URL in the show notes, answer three questions, and get CME credit. So with that, let's get started.
1: Today, we'd like to delve into an issue many of you may consider so obviously true, so set in medical dogma that you might not even know it's controversial.
0: Are we going to encourage smoking?
2: Or maybe we can give antibiotics to anybody that has a URI. Okay, Steve, not that set in the dogma, but another topic near and dear to my and many of our patients' hearts. I would say this isn't a discussion for the faint of heart, but it is exactly that. And the
1: first of many bad puns from Armend.
2: <laughs> Who can resist? But yes,
0: we are going to be talking about big bad heart failure today.
2: How many times has dietary indiscretion been blamed for a hospital admission for a heart failure exacerbation?
1: Pretty much every admission. But why exactly do we tell them to avoid salt?
0: Uh, I just thought it sort of made sense, right?
1: Yeah, I thought so.
3: Salt leads to fluid retention, and then we have to give them diuretics to get volume off. So, obviously, it's good for patients with heart failure to eat less salt in the first place, right?
2: What if we told you everything you've learned about salt and heart failure is a lie?
0: Everything?
2: Everything. (laughs) Okay, okay, maybe not everything.
1: Armin's a little prone to sensationalism. But in reviewing the data on sodium restriction, you might be surprised to find that not only may sodium restriction be ineffective, but it may even be harmful in some patients. (gasps) Totally crazy, right?
0: Is this coming from the same people who decided Pluto wasn't a planet?
1: Yeah, because that's
3: obviously a lie. But I did just learn that the moon that we have is actually not the only moon that exists. That's no moon. It's a space station.
0: Hi, I'm Janine Knudsen.
3: And I'm Steve Liu.
0: Welcome to Mind the Gap. We'd like to thank Dr. Mahek Shah, Advanced Heart Failure attending at Thomas Jefferson University Hospital for peer reviewing this episode. Check out his podcast, Heart Success, for insights and updates into the world of cardiology.
1: We also have two exciting new guests today. Hi, I'm uh co-founder of The Scope and cardiology fellow at Jefferson Hospital in Philadelphia.
2: And hey, I'm Armin Gottlieb. Uh, I'm also an editor at The Scope, and I'm an internist at the University of Miami.
1: Now,
3: for listeners who haven't heard of The Scope, it's a really cool publication.
2: Yeah, if you
0: haven't signed up for it, do it now. I've been getting the email since med school. It gives you uh, free weekly information and all of the most relevant internal medicine literature, it's super short and usually pretty funny.
2: Thanks for reading, Janine. We have a lot of fun with it. Uh, You can sign up at uh, www.medicinescope.com or follow us on Twitter at Medicinescope.
0: We're so excited to have Armand and Abhinav here today to talk about this important and surprisingly controversial topic.
2: Okay, guys, take it away. This is how we're going to do it. First, we'll review the current guidelines around sodium restriction. Then, we'll review the available data from
1: randomized trials on sodium restriction to see what the data really says.
2: And after that, I'd like to poke the hornet's nest just a little and show that the physiology we thought was at play might not be as straightforward as we've been led to believe. Yikes, hornets. Finally,
1: we'll do our best to synthesize this information and reflect on how best to apply this to our patients.
0: So, Abhinav, to get started, what do the major guidelines say about salt
2: restriction?
1: So, first off, it's important to know that all major cardiology guidelines recommend salt restriction to improve outcomes in heart failure.
2: That's the American Heart Association, the American College of Cardiology, the American Diabetes Association, the European Society of Cardiologists, and even the Australians.
1: However, it should be noted that the strength of these recommendations has been very sneakily and gradually downgraded into progressive
2: additions very sneakily. The 2009 ACC AHA guidelines gave sodium restriction a class 1 recommendation for patients with symptomatic heart failure, despite having only level C evidence, meaning limited data and only expert consensus. Just a reminder, there are three levels of evidence. The best, level A evidence, requires multiple
1: RCTs and or a meta-analysis.
2: But in 2013, they downgraded this to a class 2A, or moderate recommendation, stating that sodium restriction is a reasonable in those with symptomatic heart failure, to reduce congestive symptoms. And if you dig into their section, Evidence Gaps in Future Research Directions, snuck in the middle there is this quote, even the widely embraced dictum of sodium restriction in heart failure is not well supported by current evidence.
0: What? They just dropped that line in there like it's no big deal?
2: Yep, and buried along with that stunner is another unexpected recommendation. They stratified recommendations based on clinical stage of heart failure in a way that might seem counterintuitive.
3: How's that, Armand?
2: Well, for New York Heart Association class 1 and 2 patients, they suggested less than 1.5 grams daily sodium intake. But for class 3 and 4 patients, the more symptomatic patients, they actually suggested a higher cutoff, less than 3 grams of salt intake.
3: And so what you're saying is that they let patients with worse heart failure eat more salts? That's a bit strange.
2: Weird, right? It's hard to know whether this reflects an inconsistency on the part of the policymakers or a response to some of the conflicting data that exists on the subject. Is actually some data suggesting poor outcomes with excessive sodium restriction in those with more severe heart failure.
0: Ooh, I think you're referring to my favorite concept, the J
1: curve.
3: <laughs> think you're a little biased there, Janine. Is it named after you or something? Save it for later.
1: <laughs> uh, don't worry, we'll get to it, Janine. Uh, So about salt restriction in general, the European guidelines don't help us out much either. They only recommend, quote, avoiding excess salt intake. Basically, the same generic blanket recommendation I've been giving my patients on the subject since residency.
0: (laughs) Okay, but why all this backpedaling in recent years?
1: Well, guidelines have always been very clear in recommending salt restriction to avoid developing heart failure in the first place.
2: Yeah, I think this is a key point and probably where the big emphasis on salt is bad really comes from. Numerous studies have demonstrated a strong relationship between salt and hypertension, which is one of the biggest modifiable risk factors for the development of heart failure. And to prevent or reduce hypertension, current
1: U.S. guidelines for hypertension suggest 1.5 to 2 grams of daily sodium intake.
2: Which may not seem like a lot, but the average American consumes about 3.4 to 3.7 grams per day.
3: Okay, so what you're saying is there's robust data to support a low-salt diet for hypertension. And hypertension can lead to heart failure, but somehow that doesn't mean low-salt is actually good for heart failure?
2: Exactly. It's not that linear. The data for salt restriction in patients who already have heart failure may not be as cut and dry as we really think.
0: Dun-dun-dun.
1: Okay, so the first thing to know about the literature around salt restriction and heart failure is that a good number of RCTs were conducted by an Italian
2: group uh, with many of the same investigators, including Lecata, Paterna, Paranello. Now, they've done a lot of research on this subject, examining various strategies, including fluid restriction, sodium restriction, and various diuretic dosing schemes. It's a little hard
1: to draw obvious practice-changing conclusions from the results, though, because they studied many of these strategies simultaneously. And instead of primarily clinical outcomes, most of their studies focused on physiologic biomarkers and lab values like BUN or serum creatinine.
2: Yeah, they didn't have the cleanest study design, but one thing definitely worth mentioning from their studies is that adverse events were surprisingly more common in patients who were prescribed a low-salt diet.
0: That awesome J-curve.
2: Yes, exactly. They saw the lowest salt
1: intake, less than 2 grams daily, was actually associated with increased mortality and hospital admissions.
0: But can we trust the data?
1: Maybe, if we understand the pitfalls. One, it was very difficult to measure a patient's true sodium intake. Two, important potential confounders like fluid restriction were not that well controlled. And three, many of these patients were not on optimal goal-directed medical therapy.
2: Okay, that may be too messy for me, but it's hard to completely ignore these findings since they've been replicated in other studies as well. Totally. So, in 2016, a Chicago group published the Heart
1: study – Heart Failure Adherence and Retention Trial. This was a prospective propensity match study looking at data from over 900 patients with class 2 and 3 heart failure. They surveyed patients about their salt intake and then stratified them into low salt, less than 2 grams, or moderate to high salt groups. Ultimately, 300 patients of the 900 were propensity matched, and the results were pretty dramatic. Death or heart failure hospitalization was much higher in the low salt patient group, 42% versus 26%.
3: Whoa. Consider me impressed. But I'm still going to nitpick and say this isn't an RCT. It's a propensity-matched cohort study, and I'm not sure food frequency questionnaires are super reliable in measuring salt intake.
0: And can I just ask, how feasible is it for patients to actually even accomplish adherence to a low-salt diet, given just how much salt is in processed food these days?
3: Mm, Delicious salt everywhere. It's the best of times And it's the best of times.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Great points. Uh, You're not alone. Others have had the same concerns. A more recent study, Gourmet HF, tried to tackle this issue by providing home-delivered meals to patients post-discharge for heart failure exacerbations. Ooh, that sounds good. Sign me up. Sorry, Steve. Only patients with heart failure. And it was a pretty small trial. 61 patients were randomized at hospital discharge to receive four weeks of low salt that was less than 1.5 grams daily, dash-compliant meals, versus usual care.
0: So they knew exactly what their patients were eating.
2: Exactly.
1: Or at least as close to exactly as we were able to get. The primary outcome was quality of life, but investigators also looked at clinical markers and adverse events like hypotension, renal function, and hospital readmissions.
0: So what did this cleverly named Gourmet study actually show?
1: Well... Were no changes in quality of life scores between the groups, and no statistically significant difference in clinical outcomes. Oh
3: no. What a waste of a name.
1: <laughs> well, if it makes you feel any better, this was a small trial, and there was a trend towards significance for improved clinical status and a decreased rate of hospital readmissions in the low salt group. About eleven percent versus twenty-seven percent. Totally redeems itself.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not slim dunk, but it's pretty good. Perhaps some good news. But just remember that even the best diet studies are at risk for bias, like unclear adherence or maybe potential confounders.
0: All my patients who run to the vending machine when I'm not looking. <laughs>
2: <laughs> exactly. That happens
3: exactly. in too. <laughs> yeah, outpatient dietary studies are notoriously hard, aren't they, Janine? There's just so much variability when patients are out and about.
0: What if there was a way to keep people confined in one place, watch their every move? regulate everything they eat, and monitor them constantly.
1: That's called jail, Janine. I'll confess that I've had more than one patient admit to me that he felt imprisoned in the hospital. But I hear what you're saying, Janine. Do we have any data from inpatients? Does sodium restriction in the hospital for patients with heart failure make any difference? Say it ain't so. Sadly, Steve.
3: What? How? We put everyone on low-salt diets.
2: And yet, the data really just isn't that robust. Are you surprised? This is the theme of the day. (laughs) You invite us on to burst bubbles, Steve. We we come in peace. We come in peace. Okay,
1: so, in 2013, a Brazilian group looked at 75 inpatients with decompensated heart failure.
2: Patients were randomized to a salt and fluid-restricted arm, a cold-blooded 800 cc's of fluid and 800 milligrams of salt or an unrestricted arm. The primary
1: endpoint was weight loss and clinical stability at three days, and the study showed no
2: difference between the groups at the trial's end. They also found no significant difference in the median length of stay, use of IV diuretics or vasodilators or inotropes, lab data, or 30-day readmissions. Can you guys guess what the only significant difference was between the groups?
3: Irritability.
2: Close. Close. The only difference they found between the groups was that the restricted patients reported more thirst. And probably irritability. And probably definitely <laughs> irritability.
0: <laughs> i kind of irritable thinking about it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's worth noting that they didn't clearly specify rates and dosages of various medications. This is important. I'd be curious to see if beta blockers or ACE inhibitors were different between groups or had any sort of interaction with the outcome.
2: And again, like some of the Italian studies we mentioned earlier, this is a little modeled. We're not just looking at sodium restriction. They threw in fluid restriction at the same time.
3: But the takeaway is that even in this randomized control trial in the hospital, where we can control nearly every detail, we still don't see any meaningful clinical improvement with salt restriction. Is that right? Sadly, no. no. Well, at least Pluto is still planted in my book. You can't take that from me. <laughs>
2: So let's try to make sense of all this. How could sodium restriction actually make things worse? Cardiology isn't all that complicated. So easy,
1: even a cardiologist can do it.
2: So here's my thinking. More salt leads to more
0: fluid retention, leads to volume overload, which is bad. So shouldn't it follow that less salt leads to less fluid retention, leads to better volume status, which is good?
2: I think that makes sense, Janine, but maybe it's not so simple. Remember that most of our directed medical therapies for heart failure aim to block the neurohormonal signaling of the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system, popularly called RAS.
0: (laughs) Okay, right. ACE inhibitors and ARBs tone down angiotensin and aldosterone to relax the vasculature and promote diuresis.
1: Right. To oversimplify a little bit, the kidneys secrete renin in response to perceived hypovolemia, either from decreased perfusion or low-salt delivery to the kidney. Yeah, renin. It's the R in RAS. Renin then cleaves angiotensinogen to angiotensin 1.
0: Right, angiotensin is that first A in RAS.
1: And then this is converted by ACE to angiotensin 2, which has numerous effects, including direct vasoconstriction, tubular sodium reabsorption, ADH secretion, which also causes water reabsorption, and also aldosterone secretion from the adrenals.
2: Ah, aldosterone, the second
1: A. Correct, aldosterone which also causes sodium reabsorption.
2: It's important to remember that patients with heart failure may already have low circulating blood volume and their nephrons might respond differently than their healthy counterparts.
1: So, while decreasing salt intake may initially cause less fluid retention, it may actually increase RAS activation and paradoxically have the opposite effect.
3: Okay, I think I'm following here. So, salt restriction may make them functionally volume depleted and then that cranks up the neurohormonal
2: system that we're trying to dampen. Is that right? Exactly, Steve. And this may be especially true in patients who are not on appropriate neurohormonal blockade. Now, if you remember back to the heart study, patients in the low-salt group had worse clinical outcomes than their liberalized sodium counterparts.
1: Yep. But when you look at that low-salt group, the worst outcomes were in patients not on ACEs or ARBs. Patients that were on those meds were actually spared from having worse heart failure outcomes.
0: Whoa. Uh. So, salt restriction may be especially bad if we aren't blocking your body's homeostatic countermeasures, like the renin angiotensin aldosterone system.
2: Yes. At least that's a physiologic explanation cardiologists have come up with to explain what the data shows. Just remember, though, we're trying to connect the dots with imperfect data.
3: Okay, so now that our minds have been blown, let's try to put everything together that we talked about.
1: Okay, so while all major cardiology organizations still recommend salt restriction for patients with heart failure, they admit that the quality of evidence is weak at best, and they've been steadily downgrading the strength of these recommendations
2: in recent years. The existing data is sparse, and the little data that we do have from randomized trials hasn't been all positive. There may even be a signal of harm for select patient populations from the larger outpatient studies. But these studies have been observational and certainly subject to bias.
0: And I like the physiology that we just broke down. It sounds like salt handling in patients with heart failure is complicated.
2: Yeah, like Avril Lavigne. Why you gotta go and make things so complicated? It's complicated. And there is potential for patients without sufficient neurohormonal blockade to perhaps do worse with salt restriction.
3: So how do you put this
1: together for how to treat real patients? Salt restriction is still recommended in the guidelines for patients with heart failure, but remember it's a moderate recommendation with weak evidence.
2: Yeah, I think keeping in mind the strength of the recommendations and the quality of the evidence is always super important. Your decisions will have to be made on an individual patient to patient basis.
1: Probably more important than anything else is ensuring that they're on and they're actually taking the right meds and up titrating these meds as much as you can. There's a lot of data out there showing that we really do a much poorer job at this than we'd like to think, with increasing the dosages of heart failure meds to you know reach target milestones.
2: But that's a subject for another day. But that said, it's probably not necessary to come down your patients too hard for sneaking some extra seasoning onto their food.
3: Yeah, I feel like everyone is always blaming dietary indiscretion when we can't diurese them in the hospital. So probably some apologies are in
0: order. Yeah, especially for you, Steve. <laughs>
2: It's really hard to say if it makes a difference, and the evidence really just isn't there. Being kind and not blaming patients is certainly always a winner, though. An upcoming trial to be aware of that investigates this topic a little
1: further is a Canadian-led sodium HF trial. Uh, This is a multi-center, multinational trial looking at patients with chronic heart failure uh, who are going to be randomized to a low salt, less than 1.5 grams, or usual care arms. They're currently still enrolling patients, so it's unclear really when the results will be available.
2: Will this help clarify the issue? We'll see.
0: So we know that we went kind of quickly through the data.
1: And
3: arguably not as in-depth as some might like.
0: So as always, we want to encourage you to check out the data, too. Take a look at the links below the podcast
3: at coreimpodcast.com.
0: So you can take the time to judge the data for yourself. And sound smart on rounds.
3: Super smart. Super smart. (laughs) After all, this is a podcast talking about those gaps in our knowledge. So if you really want to feel confident on the data, take the time to pick it apart yourself.
0: And if there are any other topics you'd like to hear discussed, please let us know.
3: I'm Steve Liu.
0: And I'm Janine Knudsen. And remember, mind the gap. Thanks for listening.
3: Janine and I are assistant professors in the Department of General Internal Medicine at NYU. Opinions in this podcast are our own and do not represent the opinions of NYU or other affiliated institutions. Please don't use this podcast for medical advice, but instead consult with your healthcare provider.
0: Well, they at least knew about sodium restriction for much longer,
2: right? Actually, no. Doctors used to think it was a good idea to give patients with heart failure... Milk. Let that one sink in. So that's what they were doing up until really the early 1900s. Salt restriction didn't really
1: become a thing until a publication in 1941 by Dr. Schroeder and colleagues, which showed that it was salt, not water, as previously thought, that caused fluid retention in heart failure.
0: Steve, it's your line.
3: Oh, oh, geez, I'm sorry. I was just still stuck on thinking of an entire ward full of inpatients drinking giant glasses of milk every day. (laughs) It'd be so refreshed.